electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The taper and the takeoff as stocks hit more record highs following the Fed's big decision. Does it mean the so-called everything rally is about to take another leg higher? We'll discuss with the investment committee today, see the moves they're making following Fed Day as well. Joining me for the hour, Jenny Harrington, Rob Seach, and Josh Brown, John Ajarian. He's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's first check stocks, the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, the NASDAQ 100, the Russell, all hitting new record highs again today. Boy, take a look at the bottom of your screen, too. There are several Double-digit movers in focus for us today. Some of our committee members are rejoicing. Others, they are reeling. We're going to debate each of those names and what you need to do with them right now. And on that note, we're going to get to the markets. I first want to get to Moderna. Missing, they cut guidance for COVID vaccine sales. Steve Weiss joining us on the phone as we need to hear from him today. Steve, what's your reaction? What do you do with your position today? Well, what I've done is that I've added actually right down here uh, to the position uh, if you recall, you know, the, uh, I had some schmuck insurance, which were puts far below the market. So they helped ease the blow a little bit today, but still, it's, it's a very painful day. Look, they cut guidance this year, but they attribute it to, and I believe in timing issues. This is a new company. This is not Pfizer. It's been around for 100 years. Moderna's been around for 10 years, and the COVID vaccine is their first commercial product. So where the issues lie are in delivery and uh, the networking in terms of getting it through to the end markets outside the U.S. Europe went pretty smoothly. U.S., as we said, went pretty smoothly. But EMEA and other countries haven't gone so smoothly, both because they're a little backwards and because Moderna, let's face it, doesn't have the experience that others have. So these are temporary. Uh, if you look at where they put their guidance to, it's $700 million at the bottom. This year, that's easily attainable. That'll be less vaccines that they sold in in the third quarter by quite a margin. So, look, there there are definitely some execution issues here. That's undeniable. The question is, what does it do to, to my long term thesis, and what does it do to uh, you know to my confidence in the company? And my answer is, it's it's shaking a little bit because of the quarter, but it's not really stirring all that much. So I still have my confidence in it. I'm still in it because this is a technology platform, and they have a pipeline that continues to grow, more, more vaccines, therapeutics going into trials, so the company is executing on the medicine front extremely, extremely well. They will get over this, and if I thought this was just a COVID company, I wouldn't be in it. So the COVID has been the benefit. They've got about $15 billion in cash. They announced a new partnership or an extension partnership with Vertex. They're in gene editing. The future is extremely bright. With all these type of companies, these high beta companies, highly volatile companies that are new in terms of, you know, uh, their just generation, 
that they're moving forward to, they've been around 10 years, as I mentioned, um, you have bumps along the road. We saw it in Amazon. How many times have we seen it in Tesla? We've seen it time and time again. And if you got shaken out those points in time, then you made a mistake. So what I've done is I said I've added down here. I've spoken to the company once today. I'll be speaking to him again at 2.30. And um, that'll be the question whether I add more or not. Um, well, what can they what, 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 what would you want to hear from them that would make you add more? I mean, you, you do say they are they had execution issues. So this is more than a, you know, a supply chain problem. What do they need to tell you to make you buy more? Actually, there is some supply chain issues in there as well. But uh, what they they would have to give me additional comfort on uh, on their relationship with the regulators. Uh, with the regulators in Europe, the EMA, European Medicine Authority, is fully behind them and endorsed them for, uh, you know, for adolescents. Uh, so they're approved for that. Um, I want to know why uh, the Nordic company, the Nordic countries, and one's reversed that there are four of them, you recall, why they have this view on Moderna where the Swiss paused it, despite the data in millions of people, I'm talking 250 million people on myocarditis, uh, not being much different from Pfizer, yet the efficacy of Moderna being much better. So I want to know what's going on with that. I attribute that as well to not having the long-standing relationships with the regulators that, uh, that Pfizer has, where they've come out in the market with drug after drug and vaccines, etc. So that's one of the issues I want to get better sense on. Obviously, I've spoken to the company about that before. Sure. But at this but, point, I need more clarity. I mean, I know you're betting on, on a pipeline being much more diverse than just COVID, but this underscores, it really underscores the risk of a one product company that you've placed a pretty large bet on in your portfolio, right? I mean, that's the sort of the, sort of the moral of this story as I see it, is as optimistic as you are and effusive as you are in the praise of this company and the outlook that you have for it, it is still today a one product business. Well, I mean, it's one commercial product. It's not one product. If you take a look at their pipeline, not just out in the future, they dosed their first patient in, th- in phase three in CSV, where there's nothing in the market, and the, fa- and the phase one, phase two data has been excellent on that. And that's for birth effects. No competition okay. whatsoever. Two right. to five billion dollar market. So they've commercial got product. Products. Okay, it's a one, it's, right. they have one commercial product. You know what I mean? Right. But you know what, Scott? I mean, that's what biotech investing is about. And um, you take, you know, there's going to be volatility. A lot of people come into it because they see the momentum. They don't really know what they're getting into. And you have days like this that much more often than not, and my bet is particularly in this one, it provides opportunity. So anybody thought they missed it at 400, they're going to look at it now. They're going to wait for the stock to relax a bit. There's been some nibbling on it. You can see that. And then they're going to get in, and it's going to resume it. So, look, my interests are aligned with the management. I mean, Stefan Bonsell, even though he sells stock, he's still one of the largest shareholders with about $6, 7000000000 billion in it. And he's not going anywhere. You know, so you've got ownership up and down the line through the company. I got interests you. Are aligned. you have some, I, I got and you. And you have some very, very smart investors in here still. I doubt they're puking. It, it- it does underscore the risk, as you say, of, of investing in, in biotech stocks in general or mm-hmm. these kinds of stocks, which are, are overwhelmingly risky. 
Um, Corvo is also getting slammed today, Steve. I got to ask you about yeah. that, too, um, because it's one of the biggest losers on the day as well. What do we do here? Yeah, so Corvo, and I advertised that I thought they were going to miss the quarter. I also think Skyworks is going to miss when they report tonight. So I've vastly reduced positions in there. Um, Corvo, I'm just going to be a little patient. It's extraordinarily cheap, the company. Uh, you know, they're, they're going to earn 11 and change next year. And seasonally, you want to own these in the first quarter and throughout. They attribute out of the $150 million or $135 million in mobile phones, they attribute uh, just about, I would say, all but $15 million, I believe is what they said in the call last night, to supply chain. $15 million is demand from Asia, and we know about that because of slowness in China, et cetera. So to me, it's a solid stock, solid holding. It shouldn't be down as much because it was so well advertised when you had the Apple news, but it is. So, again, I'm going to wait to add on that. I just don't see any rush to add in this market. They just seem to be really shooting shooting the, uh, the stocks that underperform. But it'll bounce. I mean, look at, look at XPO Logistics. It's having a nice bounce today. Yeah. And, uh, you know, FedEx, I mean, that's well off the bottom. Okay. So it just takes a little time. All right. I appreciate you calling in. I know our viewers wanted to hear from okay. you today. Uh, and uh, we, yeah. we do appreciate you calling in. We'll talk to you soon. We'll see you back on the desk. That's okay. Steve Weiss. Then there is Qualcomm. It is soaring after a beat and raise. Let's bring in. Who else? Farmer Jim Labenthal, uh, Mr. All In. Man, this is your moment, man. I mean, Kramer this morning said this is a company that's very smart, that the street got very wrong. Up $15 is not enough. And apparently this, the, uh, the market listened because it's up even more than that now, Jim. Yeah, and the market did get it wrong. So let me lead with the punchline. This stock's going to 200 and above. And I think it will be there within six months. Frankly, Scott, it might get there before the end of the year. Um, what Jimmy said is right. It just never deserved to be down at 120, 125. And it shouldn't be at 155. Um, the, you know, we're looking at earnings for this fiscal year, which has already started above $10, above $11 for next year. You look at the growth rate in earnings. You look at the operating leverage that this company is generating. You look at the diversification of the business, and I'm going to tell you this deserves a 20 times multiple easily. So, you know, 20 times $10 plus for this year, it'll be above $200. And I'm not going to rule out that it happens by the end of the year, but I will put a six-month target in front of that, 33% return. Um, earlier this year, Scott, when it was in the 120s, it was all on the supply chain issues. You and I have been talking about this. The market gets it wrong from time to time, and it was getting it wrong earlier this year because the supply chain issues were temporary, and they're already over. What you've got now is 5G is rolling out rapidly, and the company's got 40% of its business that isn't handsets. It's, it's Internet of Things. It's automotive uh, applications, for which they just bought this company, Vioneer, which frankly looks genius. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna summarize by saying this. I know when I sound breathless about a stock, and that can be dangerous, but I'm telling you, there are nothing but reasons to be breathless when you read the report from last night. Nothing but reasons to be breathless. Yeah. You first purchased Qualcomm in March of 2020 at around 76, uh, but you say your, your average price of buying more is about 125, dollars $125, right? Just to get everybody on the same page who's playing at home as to what sort of prices we're talking about. Right. 
So av average price of $90 for my longstanding clients and myself. And, uh, you know, there's one thing, and this actually pertains to my buddy Steve, who's having a lousy day. There's, there's one aspect of investing that you always hear me talk about, which is be patient. Things didn't look so good during the summer, right? You and I had some funny moments. You cracked me up once. You really cracked me up when NVIDIA split, and I said that's why it's going up, and you said, well, maybe Qualcomm should split. Actually, it was hilarious. It had me laugh out loud on the show. There are lousy moments in investing, and if you know your companies and you can be patient because they have the cash flows, then you got to stick it out. Patience is the biggest virtue of an investor. All right. If that cracked you up so much, you need to get out more, Farmer Jim. That's all I'm saying. It was, you delivered it well, Scott. Right. You delivered it I, well. I appreciate it. All right, Jim, I appreciate seeing you as well uh, to talk about this. Dr. J, I go to you. What do you see from an options standpoint with Qualcomm? They were buying November 5th, 132 calls, Scott. They paid under $4 for those calls. Obviously a huge winner. Um, you know, the, I think they must have been listening to you and Jim talking about Qualcomm because this was a recent purchase and they're right and right and boom to the upside. So those calls are now $24 in the money. That's a heck of a return on less than a $4 investment. Um, so, yeah, 6x, almost 7x on that trade, 700%, Scott. Wow. Um, I'm happy for Jim. I'm happy for everybody who's in Qualcomm today. Yeah. Uh, must be happy, too, uh, Josh Brown, for people who are in NVIDIA. I'm looking at it right now, uh, a monster. The stock is a monster. It's pushing on 300 bucks, uh, up more than 12% right now, Josh Brown. It's up the same amount as Qualcomm, and they didn't even have to report earnings, so that's cool. <laughs> uh, I've run out of superlatives for the NVIDIA story. A big price target upgrade, it looks like, this morning. Wells Fargo talking about 320. Market cap is now $740 billion. Um, to me, like all the talk about metaverse and whatever, you can't render any of the graphics required to live this fake second life you're so excited about if you don't have GPUs from NVIDIA. Like, that's the bottom line. And I've been talking about this for five years before Zuckerberg, and I really do believe this, this has a shot. I know it's a stretch right this minute, but it has a shot at some point in the 2020s truly joining uh, the FANG names at, at you know, a, a possible trillion-dollar market cap. Of course, a lot could go wrong, too. So I say that with all humility. Um, but I really believe that when you look at the markets they're in and the dominance they have in these markets, like it's, it's one of these names that really could be there at some point. So um, I'm really excited about it and I stick with it. I recognize not every day is going to be as good as today. I could take the downs with the ups too. It, it makes me, you know, Jenny, want to talk about uh, tech in general coming off of the Fed decision yesterday and the fact that yet again we have the NAS and the NASDAQ 100 setting new record highs and you have you know your tech exposure i would characterize as mostly value tech or you know old tech or however you want to really characterize that being to ibm and cisco frankly i'm surprised uh, it's it's intel I'm surprised you don't own qualcomm it seems to be your wheelhouse too that the kind of name that you would um what's your view here uh on the back of these conversations we've had about some pretty high flying names i think i think it's kind of in, a, in the same way that I think of FANG, which is it's time to stop painting them all as one. So in our old school boring tech, whatever you want to call it, we own AMAT, Cisco, Palo Alto, Teradyne. We also own IBM, Intel, 
VMware, Taiwan Semi. So some of those are up 65, 40, you know, 30 percent. Um, some of them are up one, four, and 12 percent. I think it's I think it's really important to look at each individual company on its own merits, not try to lump them together because I'm not sure we're in an environment where you can lump or broad brush paint the way we have been able to. I think it really is a stock picker's market. Um, one quick note, I used to own Qualcomm and I loved it and it killed me to sell it, but that gets into the sell discipline too. I had bought it um, on the announcement of Brexit at like $53 a share and then sold it just about a year ago at 128. So, you know, re- I had to sell it. It didn't make it didn't make the dividend hurdle anymore. It became too expensive for what I needed it to work for. I sold it and repurposed it. But I have been envious of Jim today, mm-hmm. particularly seeing the investment thesis continue to play out and work. Um, I think that the value tech, if that's what we want to call it, I think it will work better than the really hot tech, the DocuSigns, the Pelotons, the Pinterest, you know, the Etsy's. I think it'll work better on average in the year going forward because there's just a lot of cash flow and value there. And like I keep saying, I think it's going to be harder to make money. And when it's harder to make money, cash flow starts to count a lot more. Well, you you mentioned the the kind of names as well that could have an issue if rates start to rise. I mean, you know, Dan Niles was on the prior program talking about his expectations that the Fed's going to have to raise rates next year multiple times as to why he thinks some of the, you know, names like Apple are, are dramatically overpriced. And it remains to be seen what happens on that front. Rob Seachin, um, where do you currently stand on the issue of owning technology stocks? Yeah, I tend to be in Jenny's camp. Uh, overweight quality tech. Uh, uh, quality tech, Scott, how, how do we define that our names, our largest holding is Microsoft, another large holding is Google. Um, they tend to be service-driven okay. rather than uh, hard parts, and they're less, less geared to inflation mishaps and supply disruptions. So you know, our view is that price right, uh, long-term growth characteristics where they're building an enormous amount of uh, book equity, that these type of companies are going to do well. And how can you be bullish about the market? And we, we think, you know, after the Fed yesterday, we're in this kind of melt-up scenario for a little bit. It's kind of as David Tepper uh, talked about on the show, if rates stay tethered, you can get this kind of this kind of an environment, um, and we're going to talk about the Fed later, I, I, I know, but how can you be bullish on the market given the construction of the market on a market cap ba- basis without still being constructive on these names? There's going to be volatility around rates. There's going to be volatility uh, around regulation, but that's the, that's part of what you get in owning, this, owning these sectors. I mean, it's, it's what we, we've talked about. It's sort of GARP versus GAP being growth at a reasonable price versus growth at any price. And the stocks that may be more volatile um, in, in an environment where interest rates could continue to rise. Well, on that note, uh, let's bring in Jonathan Krinsky now. He's the chief market technician at Baycrest. He has a new call today that I think a lot of you are going to find interesting. Um, it's be careful chasing the Nasdaq here. He thinks we're close to a, a peak, at least in the short term. Why do you think that, JK? Hey, Scott. Well, uh, you know, we should note that we were just on with you a couple of days ago talking about the breakout in, in small caps and, and the potential for year-end strength in biotech. And we still think that's the case. So we don't want to, you know, make this as a, as a big, broad market call. But I think specifically when it comes to the NASDAQ 100, um, we're at a point where the risk reward is extremely poor. 
Um, and we think you're going to get a better, better entry point. And just a couple of the things we're, we're looking at, uh, you know, you can look at the spread of the NASDAQ to its 20-day moving average. It's about 5.5%. That's really the widest it's been in the last year. The only other time that was around that was in April, and we did see a bit of a, of a sideways to down, about 8% pullback back in April. Um, you know, we're also up 90 days in a row. 15 of the last 17 days, and we're up about 11% over that stretch. That's, you know, the biggest 10-day, uh, sorry, 16-day gain into a new high that we've seen since September of 2020. If you remember, September 2020 was kind of that little blow-off in the NASDAQ. So, um, you know, we think this sets up for that rotation that a lot of people have been looking for, including ourselves, into um, some of the other areas of the market, i.e. small caps. And we think small caps can actually go higher even as NASDAQ goes lower. We saw that uh, earlier this year in, in, in February and March. I hear you, but, um, you know, look, you, you cite the winning streak as a possible neg- a negative you know, maybe it's a little tired, I would come back to you and say, why get in front of the momentum like that, right? Because if you've got such a freight train going forward, why get in front of that? And look at what the 10 years doing today. Um, the market seems to be digesting very, very well what Powell and company, Jay Powell, the Fed chair, had to say yesterday. Isn't that a reason to, that tells you specifically, and the price action in, in the NASDAQ today tells you to stay with tech? Yeah, I mean, and again, we've talked about this in the show a lot. A lot of it comes down to time frame and, and what you're doing. It doesn't mean you have to, uh, you know, go out and short the Nasdaq. But I think if you look at certain names, you know, you guys have been talking about NVIDIA. Um, NVIDIA is about 33% above its 50-day. Uh, that's about the widest it's, it's ever been. And so the question is, you know, here and now, is this a spot where you want to be putting a lot of new capital into a name like that? Um, and we would say no. We would say you're going to get a better entry point um, in, in the days and weeks ahead. You can also look at sentiment and, you know, certain indicators, uh, certain surveys are, are about, you know, heading back towards the most optimistic levels we've seen in quite some time. So I think when you put it all together, I get it. It's hard to stand in front of this momentum. Um, but we just think, you know, we've seen this before and you tend to get uh, uh, pullback or consolidation from from these type of, of uh, metrics. Josh, Josh, you have a question for or, or a, you know, a counterpoint to Mr. Krinsky? I, I, no, I have a question. Hey, Jonathan, how are you? So I know this is a little bit far afield from technicals, but surely you guys must be tracking this data. The, at a certain point, there's just too much inventory of stock, right? But it's like inconceivable that we haven't gotten there yet. So this year, we've seen companies, this is like as of last week, uh, raise $165 billion in 304 different IPOs. That's 60% higher in the number of deals from last year. And it's a double in dollar terms over the amount of money that was raised. So we have like, I don't know, like 500 new stocks or more, depending if you count SPACs in the last 18 months. And it's, it's, it continue, it's, it almost feels like it's accelerating. We're going to see this Rivian deal come out. Somebody's got to find $60 billion somewhere because that's where it's coming. And that's just one of several that I can, I could go down the list that we should see between now and the end of the year. Is that the real concern here that we have just such an overheated large cap tech and consumer discretionary trade in combination with just more and more and more supply coming? And at a certain point, we run out of money to put into all this stuff 
and that's where things could could uh, that's where you get that inflection point. Is that the way that you're thinking about how this ends? Because I don't see a fundamental reason for this to end. I really feel it's more of a market mechanics answer. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a very valid point. Um, you know, to, the the tough part about market cap weighted indices, and we've talked about this before, is is the you know in, in some ways the worse that breath gets, the more the less it matters. In the sense that you know, as these names, <clears throat> these mega cap names become a bigger bigger part of of the NDX and the SPX. Uh, you know, the rest of the market matters less and less to those cap-weighted indices. So that's that's kind of the paradox. I, I agree with your point. You know, big picture, that certainly um, is, is a concern, and that can be how, how long-term bull markets end. But that's not the call we're making here. We're, you know, we're making more of a tactical call, um, and uh, specifically with, with some of those NDX names. But I hear you loud and clear on, on that point. Krinsky, I appreciate it very much. Uh, add some more insight Thanks, to our yeah. conversation today. We'll talk to you again soon. Jonathan Krinsky of Baycrest. So, Dr. J, I, I want to address this issue of the, the Tom Lee everything rally. All right. We're we're on the other side now of the Fed. As I said, the market has seemingly digested or is in the process of digesting that fairly well. I'm looking at the VIX today, which I know you follow closely. Uh, 15. Let's call it 15. Yeah. Um, what does that tell us? Well, um, yesterday and then today with the Bank of England, yesterday with our Fed, today with the Bank of England, Scott, it seems they're going to let inflation run a lot hotter. Uh, They're going to wait as much as they can over in England. And here we've already said that the taper will begin. And again, the question is only how big is that taper going to be? 12 billion, 15 billion a month, whatever. In any case, Scott, um, I, I think that uh, Powell did an excellent job yesterday of staying right in the middle, not going hard one way or the other. For that reason, we see the 10-year coming down, and uh, obviously the move over in Great Britain has something to do with that as well. But I think overall, um, you're right, uh, and Tom Lee is right about the everything rally continuing. I mean, look at tech and uh, the jumps that we're seeing across the board there. Some look of at the everything. discretionary. Uh, look at everything, oh, yeah. right? I mean, well, you mentioned every- discretionary, Doc. Uh, let me just give you some numbers. I'll let you finish mm-hmm. your thought and forgive me just because you mentioned it. I, wa- I want to give context to Please. it. Discre- this quarter, right, you talk about a broadening, the great breadth of, of, a, of a rally. Discretionary is up 15, technology is up 10.5, energy 10, materials 10, mm-hmm. real estate 9, industrial 7.5, financial 6, and then you've got staples in healthcare, utilities, and communication services doing pretty well too. Yeah, and as, as we see all of those numbers, Scott, we're seeing a little bit of an easing in energy today, and that'll definitely make people feel a little better. Of course, it doesn't have that instant on and off at the pumps. Um, but uh, to see crude oil pushing, uh, you know, the entire month of October, it was just up, up, up. To see it pulling back um, and $81 instead of $90 certainly would be a lot better. Uh, but nonetheless, the, it's a question of how long does that pullback there take? Um, or is it something that's just resting and then it gets back to another leap ahead? I hope it's not the leap ahead because, again, with the demand we've got, That'll just push prices of everything a lot higher. Yeah, yeah it's such a unique day uh, in the market, especially for us and, and the investment committee. When you have the number of stocks we do moving double digits, either up or down, and we have people on the program to talk about those positions for you. We're going to do it next. Uh, you see Lumen Technologies today? It's up big. There's Penn National Gaming. 
It's down big. Both are double-digit movers. Dr. J, Jenny Harrington, talk about those two next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. A Russian national who helped compile alleged ties between the 2016 Trump campaign and Russia has been indicted on five counts of lying to the FBI. Specifically, Igor Danchenko is accused of lying about the sources of some of the material that wound up in what's now known as the Steele dossier. AT&T and Verizon are delaying part of their 5G rollout over concerns about air safety raised by federal regulators. The FAA says time is needed to address whether the frequencies will interfere with cockpit safety systems. In Vienna, OPEC and its allies have agreed to increase oil production by 400,000 barrels per day. But they rebuffed requests from President Biden to pump significantly more oil. And a juror in the Kyle Rittenhouse murder trial has been dismissed after he was heard joking about the police shooting of Jacob Blake, whose wounding triggered the protests where Rittenhouse allegedly shot three people. On the news tonight, accusations of discrimination in the choice of the jury that will decide the fate of three white men charged in the death of Ahmad Aubrey. That is coming up tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. You are up to date, Scott. I'll send it back to you. All right, Sue. Thank you very much for that, Sue Herrera. All right, let's talk about Penn National Gaming. There's a look at shares right now. Lows of the day. It's a decline of more than 18%. Doc, you have calls, so what do you do? Uh, well, um, it's just like Animal House, Scott, where you say, thank you, sir, may I please have another? <laughs> you don't want any more. You don't want any more of this. Um, you know, just a couple days ago, Scott, Goldman Sachs moved their target up from 115 to 128. But being in good company of losers like me and Goldman Sachs right now doesn't feel any better. Um, luckily, an awful lot of the positions expired last Friday, October 29th. But, you know, the, the ones that I hold today, I'm going to take my penance just like Steve Weiss and say, man, this is ugly. Although, unlike Steve Weiss, I am not adding to this. The Barstool Sports side of the business, Scott, was great. 
Um, but the, uh, the profit side of the business, in other words, revenues were up dramatically because they added a bunch of states. But unfortunately, the uh, uh, CapEx, the spending they did, was just absorbing all of their profits. Missed it by like, I think, 30 cents, 52 versus 82 or something like that on the bottom line profit side. So, yep, uh, those calls are just rips, as they say, Scott. Yeah. Uh, and then there's Lumen, as we mentioned before the break. Let's throw shares of Lumen Technologies up. Jenny, uh, congrats to you. I mean, you, you mentioned it as your final trade last week, uh, how timely that was, and I hope people took advantage uh, of, of that. What a huge winner. Tell us about it. So Lumen's kind of cool because this is something that we've owned for a while. It's kind of done nothing for a while, and now it's starting to move. What it is is it's the merger of the old CenturyLink assets and the Level 3. So you have old boring copper assets, and then you have fiber. The CEO, Jeff Story, has been in place for about two and a half years now. And this dude has just been marching forward with a strategy to unlock value, to get rid of assets that aren't as productive, and to really move forward. So what we've seen in the last year is the spinoff of a lot of existing assets, that, and they're selling them at multiples. The old assets are selling at EBITDA multiples of like five to seven times. The um, fiber assets are selling at multiples of between nine and 17 times. If you take all of what they have left and apply those multiples, the stock should be probably in like the mid to high 20s. And we revisited that analysis, re, um, kind of reassessed our conviction in it, and that's why I was comfortable giving it as a final trade last week. So it was pretty cool on this call to see them just continue to march along, march along, execute on the strategy of unlocking fiber. But the best part of the call was that they actually um, said that they were really committed to the dollar dividend. I had thought that that might be trimmed after the investor day, and they committed to saying like, no, we can totally pay the dollar dividend, that's safe, and we'll continue buying back shares as much as we can. So um, so I came away really positive and kind of positively surprised. I, I see that you're also buying- better than my usual. <laughs> I see that you're buying uh, more of a couple of names that you already own, one being H&R Block. Mm-hmm. So H&R Block last week traded down 6% for absolutely no reason. And this is another one where you just know your company really well, you can do the work, and you can say there's no reason this is down. So for new accounts where I leg in slowly and I say, hey, not everything's the best price on the day that the account funds, I added to H&R Block wherever there were new accounts who hadn't bought it yet. Then they announced earnings this week. They were terrific. The stock's up about 8% since. But I think the bigger point is here, this is the kind of market, you know before when I said it's a stock picker's market, this is the kind of market where even though it's up, 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 there is so much going on beneath the surface. And if you're careful and thoughtful, you can really pick things off. And there's a lot of opportunity to do that. So don't think, oh, it's just up, it's too late. Like, no, if you get smart, you can find a lot going on beneath the surface and take advantage of it. Let's take a look at an intraday chart, uh, if we can, which is going to show a, a pretty nice move there. Jenny, as you were talking about it, I'll, I'll ask them to throw that up for me if, if we could. Um, National Retail Properties, uh, I'd like you to talk about that too because you also added more uh, to that name. There, there's the move I was looking for uh, in H&R Block. I wanted everybody to see a, a better than 3% move. Uh, now it's pretty much highs of the session, we can call that. How about National Retail Properties? So identical story to H&R Block. I added more to this on Monday. Same thing just for the accounts that didn't own it because everyone else owns a full position in it. And, um, you know, I wake up Monday, I come into the office, it's down 3%. I look through it, there's no reason, absolutely nothing going on. I say, great, 
We've drifted down from 50 to 44 on absolutely nothing. I know how well this company is executing. I know that they're reporting tomorrow. I feel quite safe with them reporting. They reported on the second. Added to it, sure enough, earnings come out great. They're collecting a ton of rents. They're trading at about 16 times FFO. They're pumping out the dividend income. Both H&R Block and Triple N have about four and a half, four point six um, percent dividend yields. So again, you know, if you just know your portfolio and know when it trades down and it makes sense, you can add to it. It's not. It's just not as uh, one note a market as I think sometimes it seems. All right. Up next, Uber, Shake Shack, and Square all getting ready to report their earnings after the bell. We'll get you ready for those next on The Half. Refinitiv, out with its list of the world's most diverse and inclusive companies. It finds the U.S. leads with 25 of the top 100 firms. The industry with the highest score is software and IT services. Topping its list, Gap Inc., Royal Bank of Canada, Accenture, and Owens Corning. That's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash find your rich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, let's talk about some of the uh, earnings uh, reports after the bell today. Uh, I wanted to start with Shake Shack, uh, Josh, if, if for no other reason than someone on Twitter literally just asked me to ask you about your expectations um, going into the report. What, what do you tell them? What's Twitter? I mean, I'm sorry. Did I say Shake? Oh, never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. Somebody asked you on Twitter. Go ahead. So I have to respond. All right. <laughs> Uh, Shake Shack is down a lot, actually, from its highs of February. It got caught up in the whole meme stock mania, up up into the, the low 100s, and ever since, it's had a pretty rough year. A lot of that is because of increased food costs, labor costs. I don't think that's going to be something that is resolved in the quarter that they're about to report or in their forward-looking guidance. So I think they're doing all the right things in terms of digitizing the business, marketing, introducing new products. But this one might still be in, in the, uh, the penalty box with a lot of other uh, QSRs and restaurant stocks just because of the overall environment. But I'm a ride or die here. I'm not objective at all. I love the company. I love the <laughs> stock. I'm going to hold it no matter what. I thought you were just going to say black, uh, the, the black truffle burger and just drop the mic again. What? Did you ever have that, by the way? Yeah. That's mm, it? Yummy. All right. Of course I have. Okay. Uh, Three ooh, times give a me, week. Give me your take on Uber now. So, so Uber benefited a little bit this week because of uh, what Lyft had to say about ride sharing coming back. Um, it's possible that ride sharing revenue eclipses food delivery revenue at Uber this quarter. Certainly for the fourth quarter, that should be the expectation. It's also possible the company will stick to its guidance of being cash flow positive, which they've been saying for six quarters now would happen in Q4 of this year. Uh, they've had some remarkable hurdles along the way. I think if they can do that, the stock should have some traction. So guidance is going to be more important than anything. 
Um, one other thing that people will be watching for is the driver shortage and what the commentary is around that. Probably be the first question from the analysts uh, if it's not in the press release itself. So that's what I'm watching for. I'm long Uber. I believe in the, in the platform mm -hmm. and all of their services, and I think the stock will work. Dr. J, give me square. Uh, you have calls. Yeah, um, and I'm hoping, Scott, that we see a lot of, uh, uh, you know, the cash app usage increase, the uh, crypto side of their business, as well as the lending side. Because, again, as I said yesterday, as rates are increasing, that lending side um, could become a bigger and bigger profit center for them. So Square holding those calls into earnings right now. Scott. All right, we're taking a look at an IPO today as well. Home furnishings retailer Our House is dropping on its IPO debut. We'll follow that money. We'll do it next, down about 5% as we head to break. We'll see you in two. Furnishings retailer, our house is going public today. Our Leslie Picker following the money for us. How should we be thinking about this? I'm sure they want people to think about it as RH. Yeah, yeah. exactly. They want people to be thinking about this as RH. Unfortunately, if you look at today's trading, if you look at the dramatic downsizing of this deal, they're not necessarily riding on those coattails, at least immediately. That company slumping in its debut down about 3% right now. And chatting with the buy side, I'm told concerns surrounding the housing market and supply chain bottlenecks are front and center here. If you've tried to order a couch recently, uh, guilty, you've seen this <laughs> firsthand. And then there's the Zillow's news this week that it was shuttering its home flipping business. That wasn't great for sentiment about where we are in the housing cycle. So 35-year-old R House and its bankers thought the market would pay up given the recent performance of its peers like RH, which has withstood some of these concerns, at least recently, trading up about 50% this year, about double that of the S&P. Instead, after muted reception during the roadshow, they wound up slashing the offering size in half, doing away with the 10 million shares that current shareholders were planning to sell. The pricing gave the deal a significant discount, though, to its peer. Our house's IPO price of $13 per share equates to an enterprise value of about 12 times 2023 EBITDA, whereas RH trading closer to 16 times. So they thought that would coax more investors to the table. But it doesn't appear to be the case, at least today. You, you cover so many of these. I mean, as you know better than, than most people, I mean, timing's everything. Timing right? is everything. For a variety everything. Of, of factors. And in this case, it, it's no different for the, for the reasons that you, you said. Right. And you've seen so many IPOs go public this year. And I think investors are starting to get a little tired of this idea that these companies have done really well during a pandemic year. I mean, our house had top line growth of 59%. I mean, that is nothing to shy away yeah. from. The question, though, is what does this company look like as we kind of come out on the other side of this, as we work through some of the, the housing issues that we've seen? Are they still poised to benefit, or are the bottlenecks, the supply chain issues, inflation, is all that going to kind of catch up with them? Following the money, as always, Leslie, thank you. That's thank Leslie you. Picker. Stay with us. John has unusual activity coming up next. Are you a veteran? Do you have a question for the Halftime Investment Committee? Email us a video with your name and rank. Ask Halftime at CNBC.com. You can be featured on our special show on Veterans Day. Thank you for your service. All right, it's time for Unusual Activity with Dr. J. Doc, I saw you guys put out something. And I'm looking at it as I say this on Ford uh, earlier. Another new high. What do you see there? 
Well, Scott, uh, for the last several days, we've had unusual upside call buying in Ford as the stock has percolated from a couple weeks ago, 16 level to 17, 18, 19. Now they're going to be buying back some of those high priced bonds, which is, of course, how they borrowed money. Um, and they were paying over 9% interest. You have to wonder why they're taking so long to buy those back, Scott, since they got since they have so much money uh, cash in the bank, but at least they're doing it now. And people are willing to bet at the 20 strike going forward. They're buying this week. They bought 20,000 of the 20 calls. They bought them in December earlier in the week. They bought them January 20 calls last week. So a lot of big bets on Ford. Second one, somewhat related, MPC, Marathon. Um, these guys, the stock's 62.70 and they're buying the upside 67.50 calls in January. I bought those coattailed on that trade. You know how much I love energy. And lastly, take a look at BBY, also one of Pete's favorite stocks, Minnesota-based Bed Bath, I mean, not Bed Bath, uh, Best Buy. And this one's uh, got upside call buying to the December 130 strike. Of course, that includes the Black Friday issue uh, that I always like to address that, you know, uh, this is one of those plays that I love the setup into Black Friday. Stock was 127. They're buying the 130s. I think it's a no-brainer. Yeah, if you can get what you want come Black Friday this year. We'll have to yeah. see. That plays right into uh, to that story, too. Doc, thank you. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. Thank we'll you. do final trades next. Miss the show? Don't sweat it. The Halftime Report now has a podcast, market-moving interviews, call of the day, unusual activity, and, of course, Ask Halftime. Look for us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast. I want to hit another stock. Uh, it's right there, Regeneron. Jenny, it was a good quarter. Why is the stock down? I have no idea. Um, it was a great quarter. They reported $14.37, and unless we're expecting 10.10, their earnings in 22, once they start to normalize, are still going to be more than double what they were pre-pandemic in 2019. Trades at 14 times. It only COVID's only 23% of total sales. I think this is one where you take advantage of the stock trading down for no company-specific reason. Just take advantage. Maybe it's related to Moderna. Makes no sense to us. We thought it was a fantastic quarter and expected the stock to be up. Uh, you raise a good point. I mean, maybe it is in, in somewhat in, in sympathy with that uh, big move lower that we're seeing in, in Moderna today. Your final trade is still in the pharma space, right? Right. This is one from the dividend portfolio. So it's Pfizer. I think on Pfizer, I love it because it is all the greatness of Moderna plus so much more, so much more stability, not a one note company, plenty of earnings growth ahead in the far future, um, you know, and trades at 11 times earnings. Right. All right. Rob Seachin, what do you got? I think the Fed pulled a Houdini. They're behind the curve. They convinced markets otherwise. We like. We think rates are headed higher, and I think you, you, you continue to own small cap, IJR. They telegraphed it, though, pretty well. So that's probably why you're getting the market reaction uh, that you are. Rob Seachin, thank you very much. Dr. J. Um, after earnings, eBay. The calls expire next Friday, Scott. They are the 79 calls. Bought the 76s today. I'll sell the others as it rallies. Josh Brown. Sticking with Amazon, even though it's so boring. Hopefully not for long. All right, guys. Good to see everybody. Thanks for watching. 
You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.